Well, how are you doing today? You guys uh, awake, ready to go? Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now, and inside your program is a green and white message note sheet that we use every week for this time. So if you're brand new, you'll definitely want to take that out. We've got a lot of quotes today, a lot of scripture today, and so you'll definitely be, uh, need that. And uh, then if you guys are ready to go, uh, I'm all set. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here and to be exploring this uh, just powerful topic of our sexuality, your vision uh, for that, what you had in mind when you created this, what it looks like to pursue you as followers of Jesus, experience life to the full in this important area. And so we pray that you would meet us today, guide us, just give us a great time together as we gather around your word, speak to us from your heart to ours, set us free in new ways. We pray that as a result of this week and this message, our lives will be different. And we pray this uh, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now for five or six weeks. You can see from the screen, it's called The Genesis Chronicles, of Pursuit of Life. And this series is actually the second in a trilogy of series on the first three chapters of the Bible, three of the most important chapters in all the Bible, Genesis 1 through 3. So if you're here for the first series, uh, it was called The Story Begins. Uh, it was sort of a big picture uh, description of the creation of the cosmos. And so in that first series, we're introduced to this amazing creator who out of his uh, uh, power, out of his love, he speaks creation into existence. And then over the next six days, whether you see those as six literal 24-hour days, whether you see them as uh, six longer eras of time, or whether you see them as six days of a seven-day ancient literary format that was often common used in the ancient world to describe epic events. Uh, however you see that, over the next seven days, six days, uh, God carefully forms and then fills this creation to prepare it ready for us uh, as, uh, the, as, as the first, uh, you know, prepare it for us as our first home. And in the second series, the story begins, we've zoomed in. And so what Moses does is he moves from the creation of the cosmos almost like Google Earth, kind of zooming in to a specific time, a specific place, where he gives us more information about the creation of this first couple and the, and the creation of this first home, this amazing nature preserve that God designs for them for their first home that we call the Garden of Eden. And so what we've been doing in this series is going back to the beginning of our story and say, what's God's vision for us as a race? Uh, he's created us for life, life to the full. What does it take to live life to the full? What we were designed to be? How has Jesus come to change us so we kind of restore that life we were created to live? And so the last two or three weeks, we've been focused on this uh, most important of all human relationships, the first human relationship, the relationship of marriage. And if you've been here for the last two or three weeks, you've, we've kind of painted this, pigeon, uh, this vision from uh, Genesis 1 and 2 that God has this vision of one man, one woman for a lifetime of love and commitment. Uh, we're created for what we've called the shared life, uh, shared life at every level to rule over this creation as kings and queens uh, over our united kingdom as what we've said as friends and lovers. And so a key verse that we've gotten to, kind of understanding God's visions there in your note sheet, from the Song of Solomon, where this young bride says to her, uh, describes her husband, he says, this is my lover, and this is my what? My friend, so last week we talked, what does it look like to pursue God's vision for our life in terms of living life as friends in marriage? This week uh, we're talking about how do we pursue life uh, as, kind of as, as lovers in marriage. What's God's vision? Now, this can be a lot of fun, I can guarantee you. We're going to have a lot of fun today. But uh, this message in all seriousness is designed for students, it's designed for adults. And so if you happen to be here or in the venue uh, and you have younger kids that you've brought in with you, probably this would be a good time to take them to their kids' classes. Because uh, today is going to be rated at least PJ-13, uh, maybe rated R, and uh, we're all going to feel much more comfortable. Um, okay, enough said. So what we're going to do today, don't say, hey, you've been forewarned, you've been forewarned, all right. So, uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to start with kind of one big picture principle uh, of God's vision for sexuality. We want to recapture that vision uh, and then secondly, we're going to come back with two practical principles that in our marriages, if we're married or when we're married, how do we practically kind of uh, experience that vision in our lives? And so there in your note sheet, you see a section called Sexuality 101, uh, Restoring the Vision. And I want to start just with this one big picture principle, and we'll take some time to uh, kind of tease it out as we go. And so here's the principle. The principle is that sex is designed to be a gift. So sex is a gift. It's designed to be an incredible gift that uh, is designed to unite one man to one woman 
uh, for the rest of their lives in a lifetime of love and commitment. That's a desire. Uh, we see this jumping out to us in the first two chapters of Genesis. If you've been with us, uh, last week we've ta- last couple of weeks we've talked about this, where when God creates the first man, the first woman, he doesn't create them the same way. Remember that? That he creates the first man out of the dust of the earth, but that he creates the woman from the side of the man. And the question is why? Why does he do this? And what we've seen is there is like a spiritual object lesson going on here. That uh, what God is helping us to understand is that vision, his vision for marriage is a shared life. That from the one comes the two, so the two can come back together and become one. And that even our bodies are designed for this, intricately designed, that we could be come back together as one. And so there in your note sheet, <coughs> you have in Genesis chapter 2, this uh, famous passage we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, chapter 2, 18 through 24, where God lays out his vision for marriage. One of the most important marriage passages in all the Bible, Jesus and the New Testament come back to it often. Hey, this is the vision. That at the end of that passage, Moses says, for this reason, in other words, because the woman came from the man, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, his home of origin, his most important relationship, and be united, uh, cleave, hold fast to uh, his wife, and they'll become one What? One flesh. And so we've talked about this, that one flesh speaks much, is more than just sexual union. It's about uh, shared life at every level. It's about uh, a shared life emotionally, relationally, intellectually, psychologically, financially. But it's also obviously talking about one flesh, like sexual union. It's a big part of it. And so God has designed sexual union to be this powerful experience that's, uh, that's physical that's emotional, that's spiritual, that unites us at a powerful level uh, to experience the, the one life for the rest of our lives together. And so uh, this, this vision is further laid out in Genesis 1. So you remember back in Genesis 1 where we're given the big picture description of the cosmos, everything leads up to the creation of this first man, first woman, prototype of the race, and as God creates them, this is the command he gives them. In Genesis 1, and remember, this is pre-fall, right? This is before sin. This is his vision. Um, in Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So picture this. First man, first woman. Woman's been created from the side of the man. From the two, from the one comes the two, so the two can become one. They're designed to come back together, one flesh. They're in this incredible nature preserve, beautiful trees, all the food you need. Think of it like, uh, kind of like an all-inclusive Caribbean vacation. Right? They have perfect relationship, only no love, only no connection, only no trust, only no respect. There's been no conflict. They're ruling together as kings and queens, joint purpose, friends and lovers. They're naked. And in this beautiful place, God says, okay, one of my first rules, be fruitful, multiply, have sex, make love, start a family. And so from the beginning, we see this incredible vision. God has kings, queens, ruling together, friends, lovers, and this gift of sexuality to unite us and bond us at a very deep level. This is his vision, incredible vision. Now, One thing you need to say is that throughout church history, we've often lost this vision. This vision has often been corrupted, desecrated. If you look at the history of the church, uh, uh, the first few hundred years of the church, medieval church, often sex was seen as a necessary evil. There was often bad teaching about this. Uh, This is why, for example, say in the Roman Catholic Church, it comes out of that, that to be a priest, you have to be single, right? There's this, there's kind of this this philosophy that the closer you are to God, the further away from sexuality uh, you are. If you can just kind of avoid it at all costs, that's great, right? But what I want you to catch, this is not the Bible's vision, this is a corrupted vision. In fact, in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says this sort of teaching, you know, the further away, you know, closer to God, the further from sex, this kind of teaching actually comes not from God, but from Satan himself. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, in the last days, and remember in Bible speak, last days means any time after Jesus, right? So 
He says, in the last days, false teachers will arrive teaching doctrines that come from deceiving spirits. And they will deny marriage. Why? Because there's sexuality. And they will deny certain foods. Why? Because they taste good. The idea is that, hey, if you want to get close to God, pleasure, sexuality, uh, you need to uh, kind of abstain from that, live in a very ascetic lifestyle, a body-denying lifestyle. But what we see from Genesis is not the vision. The vision is a full-orbed full life at every level, physical, spiritual, emotional. And so God gives us an incredible, beautiful place, all this delicious food to eat, gives us incredible relationships, says make love, enjoy one another, have fun, make a family, rule the earth, okay? And so that's God's vision. So there in your note sheet, I put a quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, famous, uh, famous author, writer, whatever, uh, in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, he says, the old Christian teachers said that if man had never fallen, we never rebelled against God, sexual pleasure, instead of being less than it is now, would actually have been greater. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, can you get you going? I'm sure this going. He says, I know some muddle-headed Christians. I love that. I've met some. Um, I know some muddle-headed Christians have talked as if Christianity thought that sex or the body or pleasure were bad in themselves, but they were wrong. Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions that thoroughly approves of the body. If anyone says that sex in itself is bad, Christianity contradicts him at once. Okay, and so it's absolutely, absolutely right. Now, so what I want to do today is in this first opening section of restoring the vision, I want to just do a Bible study uh, on, on sexuality. We don't have time to go into all the passages um, that I wish we had more time, we, we just don't. But I want to give you kind of a, a sprinkling, an example. Uh, I think for most of you, this will be enough. For some of you, it will be way too many. Uh, but uh, we're going to start with uh, Proverbs chapter 5. So I put these, by the way, on your note sheet because I'm using excerpts. Uh, and also, I want us to the same version so we can move through fast. But you can go back and check it out, the whole context on your own. But in chapter 5, it's really a father talking to his son about sexuality. It's kind of a sex talk. And so uh, this father is warning his son about the dangers of illicit sexuality, sex outside marriage, and he's talking about the joy of sex in marriage, the beauty of sex in marriage uh, uh, um, in, in this passage. So what he's using, he's using a metaphor of water. Now, for those of you who've been to Israel, you know this. And when you go to Israel, one thing you find out is that Israel is a dry land. It's much like Southern California if we didn't have the Colorado River. And it's just like, without irrigation, imagine this land. And so in Israel, water is a huge deal. And this is why in the Bible, so many times, water is used as a spiritual metaphor of refreshment, uh, like Jesus talked about living water, that sort of thing. And so in this passage, uh, this father is going to be comparing sexuality to uh, a refreshing stream, refreshing water. They say, we're thirsty, and you have fresh water. And he says, hey, don't go outside of your marriage to, to be refreshed. You need to go inside your marriage to be refreshed and to, to drink deeply uh, from this, this water source that God's given you. And so he says, uh, drink water, son. He says, son, drink water from your own cistern, your own reservoir. You don't, don't go outside the marriage for this. Running water from your own well. May your fountain, notice the, uh, the, the, the metaphor of water. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her what? Breast. Breast. Good, I'm warming you up. That's good. <laughs> it's hard to say in church, isn't it? Uh, yes, we will just read the word of God together. Uh, all right. So may, your, may her breast satisfy you always, and may you be what? captivated by her love. Now, does this sound like Genesis 1 and 2, right? This is a vision. God designed one man, one woman, lifetime, love, commitment to rule together over their joint king, uh, kingdoms as king and queen, as friends and lovers. And this father says to his son, this is a vision, son, is that when you get married and God brings you that woman, you would love her and that you would be refreshed deeply by her, and that one, as one of you would be, both be captivated by each other's love. You see? Incredible vision. Now, you move on. Song of Solomon. When you get the song, this, of course, we've talked about Song of Solomon, because this is where our famous verse, our, for what we've used this series, this is my friend, this is my lover, it's where it comes from. 
But, you know, this is a famous love song between uh, this young man and his bride as they speak back and forth. And this first passage in chapter 7, we're going to start with the man. He's describing his wife. Now, she is either there in front of him naked. They're, they're preparing to make love. Either that or he's, uh, they're about to make love. He's kind of visually undressing her. But as, they, as he describes her, what he's going to do is he's going to be and speak into her life this affirmation of love and affection for her, for her body. And he's going to start with the feet and move up. Okay, he's going to describe her from the feet and move up. And guys, hot tip, it's a great place to start. Start with the feet. Like, oh, those feet are knocking me out. Like, put your shoes back on, I'm going crazy. All right. Very safe, very safe. You know, if it doesn't go well, you can stop there. You've only got the Adidas off. It's all right. Okay, so here we go. So, so here we go. So he says, uh, he starts talking to his bride, right? And he's kind of moving from the feet up. He says, how beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Now he's moving up. Your graceful legs. Here we go. Strap it on. Your graceful legs are like jewels. They're the work of a craftsman. He's like carefully chiseled those things. He says, your navel. I'm not, I'm not going to go into this. In the Hebrew, there's actually something else going on here, but I don't have time. You're, 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 <laughs> or courage. Uh, your navel is the rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist, we're moving up, is, is like a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts, we're moving up, are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, just bouncing along. Right? <laughs> I'm just expositing the word of God, all right? <laughs> Have you ever seen fawns? They bounce along. Think Bambi, all right. He says, how, be- <laughs> he says, how beautiful you are. How pleasing, oh, love with your delights. You see what he's doing? He's, kind of, he's just wooing his wife. He's speaking words of, uh, of strength, encouragement, of adoration, just He's loving on her. And, and by the way, she is loving this. We'll see in a minute. By, by the time he gets done, she's like, all right, I'm ready to go. Right? So uh, he says, next he, he moves on. He says, your stature, you know, is, she's kind of a tall, tall woman. He says, your stature is like a palm tree. Right? It's like a palm, you know, stature, like uh, nice and tall. He says, your breasts are like clusters of fruit. Okay, so you ever seen like a palm tree? Fruit's not down low. Fruit's up high, near the top, Right? And so, <laughs> hey, palm trees, come on. Uh, so he says, he goes, so here he says, he said, I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of that fruit. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, hot tip. In Christian circles, people often ask you, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? Hey, just throw this out. What's in Song of Solomon, chapter 7? You know, check it out. And they'll never ask you again. Uh, and so now he's still talking about her breasts. We got a couple verses on this. Uh, he says, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, right? like, like grapes. Okay, so what, what, what do you do with that? So the, the fragrance of your breath is like apples and your mouth like the best wine. So he's just described her breasts like clusters of the vine. Okay, so what do you do with that? Well, you pop them in. Come on, right? Oh, yeah, so, so just hang with me. Hang with me here. No, no, seriously, because the Bible's going to say this next. Don't miss it. Okay. And so now she's talking, right? And listen, this is the wife talking. And she says, hey, may the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently. Hey, be gentle. Be gently over lips and teeth. Whoa. It's getting hot in here. All right. And then she says, listen, she says, I belong to my lover, and his desire is for me. She's like, oh, I can't wait. This is awesome. You're aroused, and I can't wait, right? So, so here we go. All right, so <laughs> chapter 7. All right, now, it doesn't get any better. If you're, holding, if, if you're hoping for a kind of a pause here, it's not getting better. We're going to move on to her. Because often, I want you to catch this, often in Christian circles, uh, Christian wives will have the idea 
from some sort of bad teaching that, that really this is more the husband's thing. We just need to kind of go along with this or whatever. But what we're going to see is this wife is anything but that. She's very aggressive. She's an initiator. She loves a sexual relationship. She can't wait for this. And so in chapter 5, which comes before chapter 7, catch that, she is going to begin to speak into his life. And she's going to describe him. And she's going to start not from the, from the toes up. She's going to start from the head down. All right? So here we go. She says, my lover is radiant and ruddy. He's outstanding among 10,000. He's just amazing. Uh, his head is pure as gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. This is where Old Spice came from, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Right here, the guy on the horse. <laughs> uh, his lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms, this guy's a stud, are like rods of gold. You're like, yeah. Uh, your rods of gold set with chrysolite. His body, now he's moving down. Now catch this, we'll come back to this. We've got arms and we're going to have legs. Now we're kind of between there somewhere. And so he says his body is like polished ivory decorated with sapphires. All right, so his legs are pillars of marble, is set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, famous for its beauty, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He's altogether lovely. This is my lover, and this is my what? There we go. Now, here's what I want you to catch before we move on. I want you to catch this. As we read these passages, do you sense the love? Do you you sense the respect? There's tremendous respect here, isn't there? This is not just like two lovers uh, kind of meet across a a crowded room. It's a smoke-filled room. It's a dark-lit bar. He's got the whiskey. He's looking off, sees her. Their eyes meet, and they're going upstairs. This is not that. This is two people who know each other deeply. And there's a deep love, and there's a deep, is it erotic? Yeah, it's erotic. Is it full of passion? Absolutely. But it's not just passion. It's a passion that runs deep. It's a passion that runs not just for the sex, but for the person. And we're going to come back to that. You're like, good. (laughs) A couple, uh, a guy named Dan Allender, famous Christian counselor, respected guy. Tremper Longman III is uh, a famous Old Testament scholar. They, they combine forces to write a great book on marriage called Intimate Allies. I love, I love the, even the title. Um, and in that passage, they, they write, as an Old Testament scholar, as a counselor, they write on Song of Solomon chapter 5. And this is what they write about this woman and her description of the husband. They say many women, particularly Christian women, feel it's their place to receive and respond rather than to give and to instigate or initiate arousal. They feel more comfortable as the object of male desire than as the one who longs to be filled. Some women lose their power of seduction and sexual playfulness in marriage because they misunderstand Christian morality. That's what we talked about earlier. Um, Are they exhausted by their daily work or they simply fall into a routine? If their husbands did not pursue them, they would numbly continue to sustain their boring, asexual lifestyle. The woman in this song, Song of Solomon, is a reminder to Christian women that an aggressive sexuality goes hand in hand with a healthy marital relationship. The woman in this poem simply drools over her husband's physical beauty. She considers him more, the most handsome man around. She begins her song by describing the striking splendor of his head and face. After commenting on his strong arms, she then describes part of his body as polished ivory. Most English translations hesitate in this verse. The Hebrew is quite erotic. Most translators cannot bring themselves to bring out the obvious meaning. The smooth and expensively ornamented tusk of ivory is a loving description of her husband's erect penis. (laughs) Welcome to church. I'm talking. (laughs) After all, this again is a prelude to their lovemaking. There is no shy, shame, mechanical movement under the sheets. 
Rather, the two stand before each other, aroused, feeling no shame, and only joy in each other's sexuality. Isn't that beautiful? And so, so this is a vision, right? This is a vision from the garden. One man, one woman, shared life, ruled together, joint kingdoms, kings, queens, as friends and lovers. Sexuality plays a huge part of that because it's a powerful experience in uniting two to making them one. And by the way, this is why in the Bible you see over and over again, and I've mentioned this before, that God often uses the picture of human marriage and sexuality in marriage, catch this, to describe the relationship he wants with his people. We talked about this first week, that, the, that God chose to create marriage from the very beginning to be a visual image It's the one thing in creation that says more than anything else, this is the level of relationship I want with my people. I want to be a husband to them. I want to know them in the deepest of ways. I want to be one with them. So in the Old Testament, God often represents his relationship to Israel as he's the the groom and they are the bride. The New Testament uh, Jesus is the, the, the bridegroom, church is, is the bride. What, what's happening here? God is saying this relationship is to be a picture for all the world of what the relationship that I want with the human race, with, with my people. Now, before I move on uh, and get real practical here, I, I want to talk to those of you who are single. Because once we understand God's vision, we can begin to understand why sex outside of marriage is such a travesty and so damaging, because the reality is sex is designed to be this powerful experience that bonds a man and a woman for life uh, at every level, physical, uh, emotional, uh, spiritual, and it does. Sex is an incredibly bonding experience. That's why all our movies are about it. That's why the books are about it. That's why the magazines are about it. That's why you go to, you know, every time you go in the, the grocery store, Cosmo's there, and it's got like 18 more ways to improve your sex life because it's an incredibly powerful experience. And it works. It works in marriage and it works outside of marriage. But this is why it's so damaging. When you have sex with someone outside your marriage, whether it's a one-night stand or a long-term relationship, there is a bond that's being created there. And when that marriage or when that relationship breaks up, whether short or long, there is a ripping, there is a tearing of souls. And we can kind of try to pretend there isn't, but there is. And so when you have sex with someone and it's not your lifelong partner and you pull away, there's a ripping, there's a tearing. You are ripping off someone else's soul. They are ripping off your soul and you're ripping off the soul of a future partner. And this is why the Bible is so clear that as followers of Jesus, when we come to Jesus, we give him our bodies, our bodies, 1 Corinthians 6, become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, do not take your body into sexual immorality because God is in your body. You're taking him with you into that illicit relationship. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, hey, rule number one, you've come to Jesus now, awesome. I know that before you were sexually uh, promiscuous, and you come to Jesus, he's this serious stuff, this is God's will. This is a quote, 1 Thessalonians 4, this is God's will for your life that you be pure in your body. And he says, anyone who rejects this teaching, they sleep with their girlfriend, they sleep with their boyfriend, they live together before they're married. He says, anyone who rejects this teaching, they have sex outside of their marriage, heterosexual, homosexual, that anyone who rejects this teaching is not rejecting the teaching of man. They're rejecting the teaching of God who has given you his Holy Spirit. And he says, therefore, God will punish anyone who breaks this rule. Now, that's 1 Thessalonians 4, very clear. And so for those of you who are currently not married, as a follower of Jesus, this is one of those no compromise issues. It hurts you, it destroys you, it destroys others. Catch this, having sex outside of marriage is an act of violence against yourself and the other person. It is not an act of love. It is an act of selfish violence. And therefore God says, no, as followers of Jesus, we do not do this. And so if you're single here and you say, man, I would love to learn more about this because I wish I could go on and on about this more, but I can't I have time. I did a series many years ago called Sex and the Single Life. 
It's on, our, it's on our website. If you go onto our audio podcast on our website and you scroll down quite a bit, you'll find it five messages on kind of the purpose of sexuality, the high cost of sexual immorality. Uh, as followers of Jesus, how do you set your standards? How do you keep those standards? Uh, what does it look like to be preparing yourself for the one that God has for you? So, so some great stuff there, and so that could be helpful. Okay, so, but, but, but the vision... Uh, this vision, shared life, kings and queens, friends and lovers. And the question is, so how do we pursue that then? How, as followers of Jesus, if we're married or when we get married, how do we pursue this, what, this shared life as lovers? And there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Sexuality 101, Pursuing the Vision. And I just want to give you two big picture principles that are very practical. They're very broad-based, and so you can apply them specifically to your relationship. But I think it'll be very helpful. Number one. Uh, number one is strengthen your friendship. Now, this is very counterintuitive. When you're married and you're having problems in your sexual relationship, the natural tendency is to focus on the sex, to focus on the physical. Like, hey, what, what can we do differently? Maybe we just need to get away for a weekend without the kids. Or, or maybe we just need to, you know, buy new lingerie. Talking about the woman, not me, the man. But uh, <laughs> new lingerie, kind of just don't want to be misquoted. Uh, that, you know, hey, maybe just, hey, you know, maybe if you initiate more, maybe if I initiate more, maybe if different places, different times, maybe we change your schedule, whatever. And so catch when we're having issues sexually, and if you are, if you're married and you're having them, let me tell you, this is very, very common. So you're not alone. If you're having issues, that typically we think, okay, what we need to do is focus on this sex. So there's books that we can get or there are techniques we can learn. We need to bring some sizzle back in, right? Here's what I wanted you to catch. That is a mistake. Do you remember last week when I talked about our relationship with, as friends in a marriage? And I said, if you want a great marriage, the first step is to get your vertical relationship with God right, not the horizontal. Remember that? And when our marriage starts going bad, if it's going bad, we, we typically focus on the horizontal. We get books, we read tapes, we go to seminars. How can I learn to communicate better or whatever the thing is? Nothing wrong with that. But the reality is, unless we come under leadership of our creator, we surrender to his leadership, we will never be able to develop the kind of character it requires to build a great relationship. So, so vertical has to start first. You won't have the power or the desire or the ability to create a great relationship apart from this relationship with your creator. Where you're coming under his leadership. Okay? So he said, so it's kind of counterintuitive. When the marriage is struggling, don't work on the marriage. Start, first get right with your creator. Come under his leadership, and then you work on the other. Kind of counterintuitive. In a very similar way, this week, what I'm saying is that when, when you're having problems in your sexual relationship, that the solution, the first step you need to take is not work on the sexual or physical. You need to work on the emotional and relational side of the relationship. It's got to start there. And here's the reason why. You cannot have great sex consistently with your spouse if your spouse doesn't trust you. You can't have great sex if your spouse doesn't respect you. You can't have great sex if there's not growing emotional intimacy in your relationship. Remember we talked last week about emotional intimacy? One of the, one of the mark of friends sharing the deepest part of me with the deepest part of you. And we talked about the three circles, the public life, the, pri the personal life, and the private life. We said we need to be moving into that circle. Hey, you can't have great sexual life when there's unresolved conflict. You can't have a great sexual life when there's bitterness and resentment. You see, these things undercut the foundation. So if you want to have a great sexual life, the first step is not to focus on the sex. It's to focus on the relationship. Does this make sense? And this is the, exactly the opposite of what we do. We begin focusing on techniques or books or what, how, how do we do the sex better. It's not about the sex. It's about the relate. When the relationship is right, then the sexual relationship can grow. Now, let me say this. I understand that sometimes there are extenuating circumstances. Sometimes the sexual life suffers because someone's been uh, sexually abused or there's some kind of sexual dysfunction or because there's so many sexual partners in the past, it's hard to connect now. Or There's issues that have to be resolved, and I get that. But I'm saying as a general rule, when 
there's problems in the sexual relationship, we need to focus not on the sex, but we need to focus on the relationship. We start, start there. Uh, now, this is not so much true in uh, sex outside of marriage. Sex outside of marriage and sex inside marriage, totally different experience. When you have sex outside of marriage, it truly can be the guy sitting in the bar looking across the smoky room, uh, glance eyes up, energy's there, chemistry there, upstairs, get a room, it's crazy, wow, 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 fantastic, right? Like that can happen, right? That can happen, uh, the one, it can happen, powerful, powerful experience, right? It can happen in the rocket blast stage. Like when you first fall in love, you're in that, what I call that, a rocket blast stage, chemistry is high, endorphins are flowing, you see no evil, like total passion, right? Then you can have great sex without having a great relationship. It's true. But once you're married and you're into relationship and now there are bills to pay and carpools to ride and days are long and jobs to pursue and there's real life conflict going on, when, when that begins happening, you cannot have an ongoing great sexual relationship without having a great relationship. You see, the, 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 the relationship has to come first. And so we don't have time to go into that in great detail. Last week I talked about pursuing life as friends. If you weren't here, you'll definitely want to go back and pick up that message. But I want to remind you of what, what I mentioned there. I said the five things. If you want to have a great friendship, you need to, number one, face the facts. Remember that? But then number two, you need to choose to grow. You need to, this is called the vertical relationship. You need to choose to grow. Number three, share your hearts. Number four, play together. And the fifth one was to love one another. And we talked about love and how love is not just a feeling, that love is a choice to value someone else. It's a choice to put the needs and interests above one another. And, and, and bottom line, to love someone is to serve them. And that leads us to point number two. So point number two is to serve one another. That if you want to have a great sexual life, it needs to start with an attitude of service, right? Loving one another, putting their needs and interests of your spouse above your own. Now, this is hard to do in life in general, isn't it? But it's extremely hard to do in the bedroom or wherever else you happen to be. Um, <laughs> Because sex is such a strong drive, and it's so personal, and it's so fraught with difficulties, insecurities, fears. You know, am I pleasing you? Am I good enough? Is someone else better? Uh, what's, you know, is my body? It's just, it's, there's so many things that surround, it's so deeply personal, it's so deeply intimate, and it's so, such a powerful drive that this becomes very hard to put the other person first and truly serve them when you, when you enter into a sexual relationship. And this is even harder because we live in a culture today that constantly tells us the path to your fulfillment in life is sexual fulfillment. And so you can't, I, like I rarely shop in like pavilions or Albertsons. I, I shop at Costco, right? So I don't usually go there. But when I have a cold or I need to buy a card or something, I go there. And, and I cannot believe it. Every time I'm there, I'm always blown away by the newsstands and the magazines you have to walk by just to buy cold medicine, Right? And if you look at that, like almost every magazine there is talking about sex. And it's talking about the key to sex and 17 new positions or how to drive him wild or whatever. And so this constantly message is given to us. Our culture has bought into this myth that the key to our fulfillment in life is a great sexual relationship. And what this does, even as Christ followers, as we enter into the bedroom or wherever, as we enter in, there's a sense like, man, I... I need to be fulfilled here. Like I need to, this is where it's going to happen. I need to be fulfilled. And this is why it causes such conflict when we're not being fulfilled. And what I'm suggesting is we need a whole new paradigm. That we enter into sexual relationship with our spouse, our number one priority needs to be to please our spouse, not to be pleased. And this is exactly what the Bible says. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, there in your note sheet, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. Right? They've come out of, uh, they've, they've come out of this uh, uh, kind of a sex-crazed culture. Uh, Corinth was sort of like uh, New York meets Las Vegas meets San Francisco, all rolled into one. It's crazy. 
right? They, they go to church there. You have sex prostitutes at the temples, right? So it's crazy. So they're coming out of this, saying, hey, we're followers of Jesus now. Where does sex fit in? Should we not have sex? Because in fact, we kind of abused it. And Paul says, no, no, no. He says, here's it's a New Living Translation. He says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the, hu- and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourself more to prayer. So there may be times where you exceptions this rule. You say, hey, there's something going on in my life. We really need to fast and pray right now, and I just want to be focused. And so it would be okay with you if we didn't have sex this week or whatever. And she says, uh, yes, or he says, yes. And, and so he says, okay, mutual agreement. But he says, but after that, afterward, you should come back together so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So in other words, once you start having sex, whether you're single or married, you, you set off the sex machine in your body, right? And there's a hunger there. And, and what Paul is saying is that, hey, once you've triggered that and you get used to this, uh, that you, you make yourself, like if you're not getting that sex, you're making yourself vulnerable, right? Like you are opening the door for your spouse. If you're not meeting their needs and they're not meeting your needs, you're opening your, the door to your spouse. You go both ways, husband or wife. That, that uh, you're not connecting, you're opening, you're kind of basically opening door saying, Satan, why don't you come and stand here in our marriage? Right? And so Paul says, hey, as followers of Jesus, you need to understand how this works. You need to be make pleasing your spouse and meeting their needs a really high priority uh, in your life. Now, so let's talk about what, what does this look like? Well, let me just give you some examples of kind of, uh, I think what, 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 what tends to happen is when we have this fulfillment paradigm, right, where sex is about getting my fulfillment. Here's what happens. We think it's inauthentic to have sex unless we're in the right mood. Right, so unless we're in the right mood, uh, unless the stars are aligned, uh, right, and I'm not tired, whatever, like everything's got to be perfect. Because this is my key to fulfillment, and if I don't do it, if, if I have sex and I'm not really into it, and I just kind of do it because you want me to do it, then uh, I'm being inauthentic, I'm violating my path to fulfillment, and, uh, and that would be a bad thing. And so the problem is in a marriage, when you wait for the stars to be aligned for both people, it happens about three times a year, <laughs> right? Because we have different levels of libido, different sex drive. We've got, uh, we, we've got uh, different uh, kind of body schedules, different sleep schedules, uh, different uh, work demands, different stress. T- and so, so if you wait until everything is perfect, uh, you can be waiting a long time. And meanwhile, uh, you're saying, Satan, come and stand here. You see? And so we need a, a whole new paradigm of when it comes to sexuality. It's not about getting pleasure. It's about giving pleasure. Look there on your note sheet, a great quote from uh, Tim Keller. And I mentioned his book last week. You know, Tim is a famous pastor in New York, a great writer, thinker. And he wrote this good book recently, The Meaning of Marriage. And he talks about this. He says, each partner in marriage is to be most concerned not with getting sexual pleasure, but with giving it. In short, the greatest sexual pleasure should be the pleasure of seeing your spouse getting pleasure. When you get to the place where giving arousal is the most arousing thing, you're practicing this principle. This concept has implications for a typical problem that many couples experience in their marital relationship, namely that one person wants sex more than the other. If your main purpose in sex is giving pleasure, not getting pleasure, then a person who doesn't have as much of sex drive physically can give to the other person as a gift. This is a legitimate act of love, and it shouldn't be denigrated by saying, oh, no, no, unless you're going to be all passionate, don't do it. And so I want you to think, I, I want to get really practical here, and let's talk about a great example in, that happens in many marriages, and I'm going to give you this stereotypical, uh, stereotypical scenario. Now, listen carefully. I'm describing stereotypical men, stereotypical women, all right? Acknowledging their stereotype you may have the exact opposite in your marriage. You may have a marriage where the wife operates more like, uh, like a typical man and, the, and the, the husband operates like a, a typical woman, not in a bad way, but just a, one's more in a relationship, one's more in the physical, okay? So that may be. 
Um, I said that last night, and someone still emailed me. That's not like, a, like okay, I'll make it more clear. All right. All right. So, so let's talk about stereotypical men, right? Um, men are born ready. Amen. We, we don't need a lot of prep time. Uh, little visual stimulation goes a long way. Uh, time, place, setting, pretty much irrelevant. Uh, good to go, good to go, ready to go. All right. And so for most men, there's a much higher sex drive and need than for women, for most women. Now, not, not, this, not always, but I'd say most, right? So this is often hard for women to understand because they're just not wired that way, right? And so they need kind of the right time, the right place, the right mood, right lights, whatever. You know. So it's like hard for them to understand. And so, uh, so what, what happens then is that for the woman, uh, that, that she will often say, I'm just not in the right mood. Right? Well, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 7, it says a wife should meet her husband's marital and sexual needs. I didn't see anything about mood. <laughs> I have a friend, a great guy, and uh, he, uh, when he was younger, served on a college campus. Uh, it was a Christian campus. He was a campus pastor. A uh, very gifted guy, uh, a lot of charisma, uh, a lot of people drawn to him, uh, just kind of a man's man, great, great guy. And uh, anyway, students loved him, right? Uh, the women, the men, students loved him. And uh, his wife understands this need, right? So she, she understands it. He's, he's a typical guy. He's a red-blooded guy. He needs sex. He needs a lot of it, right? And, so, and she understands that he's going out every day to work with college students, right? A lot of them beautiful co-eds. And so this is what she says to him before he leaves the house. There is no way I'm letting you leave with a loaded gun. <laughs> now, what is that? That's a beautiful wife, right? A beautiful wife. Like, like she gets her husband. She understands, like, I, I don't want to make, I, I look, they, they had a good sexual relationship, but I just don't want to make love as often as you do. But, man, I'm going to take care of you. You're my husband. I'm going to serve you. I want to serve you. And so they're going to make love, or she's going to take care of him some other way. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> whoa. Um, but, uh, but she is going to meet his needs. Why? Because she loves him, and she wants to serve him. And she doesn't want Satan to have a place in their relationship. Amen. Now let's flip it around. Uh, guys, so the way we're wired, right? Ready, set, go. Done. Um, <laughs> uh, not a lot of time. Not a lot of wooing. I want you to catch something. When you go back to chapter 7 of so Song of Solomon, I want you to catch how that man wooed his wife. How he was tender didn't start with her breasts, start with her feet, right? And by the time he got there, she was ready to go. And, and for most women, not all women, again, stereotype, but not all, most women need more time. They, they need longer on-ramp. Um, they, they, need the, the right, they need the right words. They need the right space. They need the right ambiance. It matters when and where. They need to know that they're loved and cared for, not just for their body, but for their lives, they need, they need a husband who loves and respects them. They need a, a husband who trusts them, sensitive with them. Remember what, so that, hey, gently flows over to you. Like, there needs to be a gentleness there, right? So, men, I want you to understand this. As a follower of Jesus, if you're a man, when you enter into the bedroom or wherever with your wife, your number one job is to bring her pleasure. Your number one job is to, to minister, to, sit, to love her and to take care of her needs, right? Now, can you imagine what would a marriage be like where you have, instead of two, two people going in and fighting over what they want and how often they want it and what way they want it, 
What would it be like if you had two people entering into that relationship, a relationship of love and respect has already been developed, and they're entering into that relationship saying, how can I please you? How can I serve you? Can you imagine that? Now you're going to see God's vision. You see, this, this love for one another, this service, is not something we leave outside the bedroom. It's a place more than any other we need to take it. And I want you to catch this. Catch the order of this whole message. Because many times, like, I don't want this to happen. I don't on the way home, right? Guy looking at his wife on the way home. Wow, that's a powerful message. As a follower of Jesus, I think some things need to change around here. <laughs> Meet you at three in the treehouse. <laughs> Can I tell you something? That when there's a sexual problem in the marriage, not always in general, when there's a sexual problem in the marriage, there are deeper problems in the marriage. Sexual problems are like a warning light on the dashboard of our lives saying something is going wrong under the hood. And, and what we need to do as couples is pull off the side of the road and say, what is wrong? In the, there's a sexual problem here. Yeah, but that's not the real problem. The problem is something deeper. And so, so this message is built very carefully. If we don't love one another as friends, if there's not deep love and respect, if there's not honest conversation, when there's too many bricks in the relationship, when there's bitterness and anger and unresolved conflict and lack of, lack of uh, understanding, you don't fix that by just having sex. You have to go back. And so, guys, I'm in all seriousness about this, I don't want any of you saying, Mike said. <laughs> if you quote me, I want you to say, Mike said, as a husband, my number one job is to please you. I'm sorry I've been so selfish. Can you help me understand what you need? Because as leader of this family, I want to lead the way. And then as wives, you need to say, I am so sorry. I put my needs and interests I didn't understand. I didn't understand that in denying you, I was denying Jesus. That I was sinning against God. That I wasn't giving you what you owe, what I owe you. I don't know if I mentioned that. I think I'm going to pass that. But in 1 Corinthians 7, you know that passage that talks about uh, you know, meeting the person's needs. You know, in the Greek, what it says, it says is that as a husband, you need to give your wife what you owe her. And the wife, you need to give your husband what you owe him. And it's a beautiful perspective that when you get married, you're trusting this very deep part of yourself, your sexuality, you're trusting that to your spouse. You're saying, I promise you, I will never go outside of this marriage to have my Sexual needs met. Wow, you are really trusting your life to someone else, aren't you? And so the biblical perspective is that when you make that commitment, you need to come through then and pay what you owe. Not in any weird way, but you know, it's like you need to come through and say, hey, you've trusted me with this, and I am committed to, be, to meeting the deepest needs in your life because that's the mark of a healthy relationship. Amen? And so I want to challenge you. If you're here today and your marriage is really struggling, and let me just promise you, if you are, it is normal. So don't get discouraged, but I want to challenge you. And here's the challenge. Don't settle. Don't settle for a sexless marriage. Don't settle for a marriage that sex is a battlefield. Instead, see the battlefield as a warning light that something deeper is going on. And go back to the relationship and begin to have some honest conversation. What's going on in our marriage? Make a commitment to grow. Begin to share your hearts. Spend time playing together. Learn to love and serve one another. And then watch what that does as that begins to break down walls and build connection that will pay off fantastic dividends in your sexual life. Amen? And so the band is going to be coming out right now. While they're doing that, I want to give you a couple references. Uh, if, if, if this is an area of your life you'd really like to grow in, there's a couple of books on your note sheet. They're real small. 
uh, they're up there underneath uh, the second point, that I'd highly recommend. Uh, one book is called A Real Marriage. It's by Mark and Grace Driscoll. Mark uh, was recently, he was pastor for many years of Mars Hill, a large church up in Seattle. Uh, recently was asked to step down uh, because of some leadership uh, issues in his life that he needs to work on. Uh, they weren't sexual issues, but the reason I'm recommending this book is because it's a tremendous book on this topic where they share very candidly the struggles they had uh, in their marriage sexually, how God worked that out, what they had to learn, and so it's extremely helpful. And there's a great chapter in there on what's okay in, 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 in Christian marriage, like what's okay to do in a Christian marriage, and it's something you often don't hear much taught on. It's a great resource. The other book is called Sheet Music. It's by a man named Kevin Lehman, who's a, a counselor, does a great job, fun to read, easy to read, uh, but very helpful on how do you build kind of God's vision for sexuality and, and how do you build that. And so kind of wrapping up today, let's go back to where we started this series then. Here's where we started. God created us for life. Life with a capital L. We call this series the pursuit of life. And so the question is, how do we get back to the garden? How do we rediscover this life we were created to live? How does Jesus fit into that? And what we've seen is that if we're going to Follow, if we want to get back to the garden, we have to come under the vertical leadership of God as our creator so he can empower us, whether it's in our workplace, in our relationships, or in marriage, to live the life we were designed to live. And I want to remind you what's at stake in this. The very first week we talked about marriage, I talked about this, that as followers of Jesus, that marriage is given to us as a picture of the relationship God wants with his people. And so for our marriages to work, it's not just a matter of our life or our kids' life. It's a matter of the gospel. That when our marriages work, when they become a picture, king and queen ruling together as friends and lovers, there's something that the world can look and say, that is the kind of love that God wants with us. And it gives tremendous credibility to the gospel. And when our marriages aren't working, it cuts down at the very core of the gospel. And so as followers of Jesus, this is not just about us, not just about me, not just about our marriage. This is about the kingdom of God and the advance of the gospel. And so God's vision is to restore our lives. And right now, I've asked the band to play. They're going to be singing a song called, There's No Fear in Love. And I want it just to be a time of reflection for you, just to sit back, let the words roll over you, and make this your prayer as we pray as a church that we would press into our creator at new levels, and as a result, we would experience his amazing love that, that frees us from our fears, allows us to pursue him, and share the message of Jesus with all the world. Amen? Amen. Father, as we come to this time and we come to this place, we're ending a series, a series that cast vision for the life that you created us for. It's life with a capital L. The message that you've come to restore that life. And that first step is to come under your leadership as our creator. The vertical has to be right before other things work. Our, our work, our careers, our relationships, our marriages. And so God, today we pray that you would set a fire in our hearts and our souls. A fire that won't burn out, that won't lose, that will never go away. And Father, we pray that it would be a fire that we can't even control, that would begin to flow out from this place and those around us. It would flow into our lives, into our marriages. Uh, it would flow into our futures. And God, that this would be a place where people come to know you as a result. And so God, we pray that as we come under your leadership, you continue to lead us and guide us every step of the way. I pray for those adults who are single here right now that they're in a spot where they, this is, there's a call to self-control. And I pray that you would strengthen, encourage them, give them a vision for the future, a vision that's worth living for now. Father, I pray for those of us in marriage, and especially for those marriages that are struggling. I pray you'd give hope that this conflict, this bitterness, this resentment, this battleground, it doesn't have to be, that there is a way out. As they come under your leadership, you can heal, you can restore, you can make new. And they can experience this life you've created for them as a shared life, kings and queens over their kingdoms, ruling as friends and lovers. And so, God, we pray that as we come now, as we bring your offerings, we pray that you would light that fire that would burn in us and that this is not about us. It's about your kingdom. It's about the gospel. It's about the message of Jesus. 
We pray that we'd experience that together. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, and that's what this series is but all, all about, this life he came to give us. But it only comes as we get back in relationship with the vertical. You can't live life as it's meant to be lived when you're not in right relationship with the creator. Amen? And so as we continue to grow, come under his leadership, we're going to watch and see what he does with us personally as a church. Uh, I want to remind you, next week we're kicking off this new series then called the, the uh, Genesis Chronicles Rebellion and Redemption. And so what we're going to see is uh, we've been, Moses has set us up now these first two chapters, big picture description of Cosmos, uh, zoom in, life as it was intended to be. And now we're going to see next week that this, this young couple decides to rebel against the Creator because deep inside they believe they can get more out of life, live life to the full. They need to leave his leadership, follow the leadership of the great enemy. And so next week, we're going to begin this, this series talking about this great enemy, uh, his techniques, the way he works in our lives, because he's still doing it today, trying to rob us of the life we were created to live. And so we're going to look at his, his methods, his motives. I hope you can be with there. It'll be a great uh, series uh, starter as we lay the foundation of the whole series. Don't forget that afterwards we go today, there's a prayer quarter down here, both to my right here and also in the summit, if you're in the video venue. And uh, as you go, may the Lord lead you this week. May you experience him, him, him as a source of your life in new ways. May you come under his leadership as your king and your creator. And as you come more under his leadership, may you experience the life that you've been designed to live at every level, personally in your relationship with God, horizontally with others, in your careers, in your relationships, in your marriage, as you're waiting for the person God's going to bring, that God would give you all that you need to live life to the full, and you experience it one step at a time as you follow him more closely every day. Every day. Amen? Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. See you next week.